Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, we're in for a long one. A long weekend, that is. And you deserve to spend it on the couch with a glass of something good. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered quickly. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. I I got a a giant package. Got a giant package. I got a, a huge package. There's no way to say that. Uh, I got a package. It was very thick. And just <laughs> just lobbing them out there. But uh Slayer before Ended family, you know. I know. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dad. Yeah, you know, way to no. fucking ruin that. Uh. <laughs> that that he did. He well, really did. That was a terrible week. I'll just I'm just going to leave it at that. It was a terrible week. Well, I'll so. reel us back in here. I'm talking to Randy okay. Brown. Randy, why don't you promote yourself? Tell us why people should care that I'm talking to you today. Uh, probably really no, not much of a reason. I'm kidding. Uh, I have a. <laughs> I have a podcast and, and a, basically a musical entity I, I, I refer to as the Synaptic Empire. Yep. Uh, it was originally just the Synaptic, and then at the before-mentioned uh, Rock and Pod 1, that was the only logo I had was my Synaptic Empire logo. Because the it started off just as a blog, and then I started promoting shows, and then Joey came to me about doing a podcast, and then I ended up releasing a couple of records under the moniker. So I just sort of, uh, being... Born in 70, as we've already discussed, in 77, I was hooked into Star Wars, as you can possibly see behind me, mm-hmm. <laughs> like like every other kid was. And the Synaptic Empire and the Galactic Empire kind of have the same sort of meter, so I just sort of did that. I've got a, my podcast is pretty much all over the map. If you're a big music fan, please uh, please check it out. I just, uh, to warm up, I recorded episode number, number 130. Right on. So... Got 130, probably 135 episodes or so. So, and uh, man, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm, you know, I'm glad yeah, to, and we've glad hung out a little bit and, in Nashville during that. Um, but this is the first time we've had you on as a guest uh, on the Covers and Fire banner. 
So I, even Absolutely. though this is whatever, never mind, it's still kind of under the whole Cobras and Fire thing. Sure. Well. Right on. Why don't we get into the record we're talking about today? Coming in at number 16 on Rolling Stone's list of greatest grunge albums of all time is a record right. uh, I, I actually love quite a bit, and it sounds like you do too. It's Melvin's Houdini. It's their major record label debut. Uh, why don't you uh, tell me why this record was the one you wanted to talk about today? Man, this is, uh, I've got I've got what I call the Big 15, uh, which are my 15 favorite bands, Uh I've always said that number one and two are the only ones that are, are ranked, which is U2 and Slayer. But then the Melvins really come in at number three for me. They're like my probably my third favorite band. I've seen them 20 wow. plus times at least. The first time I saw them was on this tour opening for Primus. Uh, I had, It was not my first Melvins record. I had gotten Bullhead before this, which I heard the great episode uh, a few weeks back. Oh, did you like that? How did we do? Oh, yeah. It was good. It was good. But this was like my first stayed in my car, lived with me, Melvin's record, you know, for, for months, just on end, listened to this album so many times. And uh, it just, yeah, it, it's got my favorite, my favorite Melvin song is on here. And it's just. I wonder if that's going to be the same one as mine. Same here, but we'll wait till we get to it and see if we have the same one. But Okay. Um, this is my introduction to these guys. And I have. Oh boy, I'd have to go look at my. I have a decent chunk of their collection. I have a. Uh, I have all the solo album uh, parodies that they did. Um, I have Gluey Porch treatments, and then I have the other two Atlantic Record releases too. Is uh, Stag and Hooch, right? Stag and Stoner Witch. Stoner Witch and Hooch, yes. And I have Stag. Yeah. This is the only record by them that I listen to front to back. Um, I like the Melvins. I've seen them live a handful, at least a half a dozen times. Not opening for Kiss. I've seen them once open for Kiss. <laughs> right. But I went to see them uh, uh, plenty of times, and I've always enjoyed the show. Their their live performance, to me, is more about who they actually are as a band, and that's not really what I like about the Melvins, oddly enough. It's more the, um, well, this album, to me, is is the pinnacle. Almost, almost every track, as we go, through it you'll find out this is the side of the melvins i like the most and um, right. and they you know and again we'll probably break down this in, in quite a bit of detail they do a lot of different fucking shit they yes they do they're very experimental and for a live concert that's really not my forte but you know I, I like to know like if i own half your record collection i should know half your set list and right. and and that's not always the same thing now they also have a bit of a slayer thing to them too where when you go see them live, it's so loud, you might need 15 to 20 seconds to know exactly what song it is, d- d- depending on the song. Uh, yeah. th- there, there is certain, I can buy that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so this is, but, but this is the, the entry point. A, a buddy of mine, um, and he'll come up here in, in one of the stories I tell, uh, he, he saw the video for uh, um, Honey Bucket, and then he went out and bought the CD, and then he basically, him to another friend, and then to me, uh, we all kind of got into it and became Melvin's fan, and I kind of hung with him pretty tight there till the end of the '90s. But I've kind of checked out. Other than like you know, when when they, I like, I just bought Buzzo's uh, CD, solo, his first solo album when it came out. Well, that was actually four or five years now at this point. But uh, yeah. I like that a lot. That was kind of neat and more of an acoustic kind of thing. But to me, Melvin's Houdini is the pinnacle of the Melvins, and I get why Rolling Stone. This is the highest rated Melvins record on the list. Right. Well, hey, sixteen is pretty pretty respectable. Yeah, considering you know, you know who you're jumped in there with. 
Considering who, yeah, and then considering who you're junked in there with as well. <laughs> but you so, were you you, yeah. you were actually listening to these guys ahead of this album. You're saying I, I was I was familiar. I was you know I had listened like I said I'd had Bullhead, and I liked it. It wasn't uh, you know I mean like I said I I I graduated from from into indie probably about ninety ninety one somewhere around there. Uh, I had a friend who was really into the whole mail order thing because there weren't many indie record stores here in, in DFW at the time where you could go buy these records or, you know, like Melvin's Records or, or AMREP Records or mm -hmm. you know, to, to shove that out to, to Minneapolis. Uh, you know, you didn't see that, that stuff anywhere. So she was the one who was like feeding me, you know, hey, Randy, you need to check this out and you need to check this out. And uh, so, yeah. I kind of uh, I kind of went that way. So I mean, I guess to me, grunge is just a part of of that indie scene. Oh, absolutely. And part of just part of a part of alternative. You know, uh, I don't see I don't see that it's uh, I don't see that it's necessarily more important than any other part of it. I think it was all working together, and uh, there, you know, there's a lot of talk about Nirvana being, you know, obviously the catalyst for everything but to your point once uh grunge yeah. did blow up a lot of alternative acts that already existed kind of got a little bit of a boost too um i think right. i think rem even though they were really doing well at the time they actually benefited from it a little bit uh and then also like new bands that really weren't grungy at all that started popping up you know like uh, your bellies or Oh, I'm, I'm 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 of course drawing a blank right now because I'm on the spot. But uh, and then of course right. post grunge, fucking Hootie and the Blowfish, Dishwalla, that kind of shit. Um, that was more kind of the uh, pop music trying to be grunge, four non blondes, that kind of stuff. But uh, right, disguise, and, you know, and you see that, yeah. But uh, you know, I mean, it's the it's funny because both, uh, you know, you see any sort of documentary about hair metal and it's the same thing as like when you watch the movie i don't know if you saw that the documentary hype uh it was funny because both of them talk about like like in the the hair metal when they're like and everything is going great and we're all partying and everything's going on and then and then they you know da 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 ba da, -da and they start playing smells like teen spirit and then in hype they're like and everything's dying down and we're just sort of like cool our scene's gonna about about to go back to our yeah <laughs> to our little scene <laughs> and then but it up and then they start playing. It's just funny to see the two different stories. Because uh, honestly, I think that I don't see where where grunge really killed hair metal. I don't think that at all. I'll I think give you, you a chance to to answer that question here. Uh, uh, okay, but, but then, I'll, then I'll save I'll save that. Yeah, I'll don't step on the show format here, uh, Randy. I am okay. I'm just rambling. You're gonna have to reel me in because I'll go like fifteen bands into something before you're gonna be like, dude, 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 stop. It's all good, man. We the side conversations make it easier, but uh, we should right. get into some of the, the the details here. So we'll open up sure. that Houdini is the fifth studio album by the Melvins. It's their debut uh, major label release on Atlantic Records. Uh, it comes in at a I don't know. I mean, for the time, a a pretty standard fifty four minutes and fifty seconds for thirteen tracks. It was produced. We'll we'll talk about this as we get in more into it. But there, there's kind of a mess on who produced this record. Uh, right. it, it, it shares credit with uh, the Melvins themselves, Kurt Cobain, of course, from Nirvana, and Garth Richardson, um, who I spoke with last night. And it's this. It almost is unbelievably how seamless this record is, unless you finally get into where you find out 
what Garth was doing and exactly what Kurt Cobain did as far as a producer. It is kind of a mess, and and we'll kind of save that for the track by track, if that's all right. I I assume you know some sure. of the, the, the backstory there, but... A little bit, you know. I certainly know a little bit of the backstory, but, you know. Well, the album opens up with a song called Hooch. opening just i mean to me that just sends a shot straight through your through your spine it's so exciting and this is the honestly as not being a lyric guy yeah. because i don't care i really don't care what you have to say uh and the cool thing was that they put the lyrics for this song in the record the only lyrics that were in there and i was like cool all he is saying is gibberish i can get so behind this and i don't have to you know I don't have to worry about what he's talking about, and I don't really care. <laughs> I was like, sweet. Probably, I mean, that's probably a top five all-time favorite Melvin song is Hooch. And especially, God, if you if you go into, like, the the big Melvins era, uh-huh. when you had both Cody, Cody Willis from the Murder City Devils and Dale drumming on it, and they would both go in on that drum intro... You can't see my face, but my eyes are kind of rolling. Oh, no, I can back see it. Yeah. Oh, just... the listeners can't. Yeah, all right. The listeners can't. All right. Uh, well, so. I, I I love talking lyrics when we come to the Melvins. Let's give the listener who maybe you know naive to uh, <laughs> the lyrical genius of of Kurt uh, or of uh, King Buzzo. Uh, here is the opening lines for Hooch: "Lost ticket to rest." Yes, I, I'm saying this right. Might like a sunder do re. Your, <laughs> your make a doll a ray day sender bright like a penalty. Now he's he's got some rhyming going on there. Um, he does. I have uh, some comments about his lyrics coming up, so I'm going to save it because I want to hit you with that. Uh, something okay. I got from Garth uh, Richardson last night when I was talking to him that I I thought was famous. But here, my, my overall thoughts is to me this is what the Melvins sound like. This is what I want from the Melvins, and they you know what every record they deliver something along this lines. You know what I mean. And I'll right. tell you this, if this song is a turn-off, then you can just turn the CD off because there's really nothing from this point on that, that, that is going to strike you if this is a problem for you. Um, I dig it. Uh, now, right. you've listened to a couple of the episodes. We, we use kind of grunge references as instead of the word like star, like I uh, give it five stars. Do, do you have a Seattle or a grunge reference you want to use going through this, or do you want to change it up? Or how would you like to do this? Um, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, I was thinking we could do a, like a goatee scale. Ooh, nice. We could do a chain wallet scale. 
But I was thinking if it's the Melvins, and I mean, you've seen them in the in recent years, correct? Well, last time I saw them probably would have been about 2002, 2003. Okay. Uh, well, Buzzo's gone to uh, wearing a muumuu oh, yeah, on stage. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking, well, I mean, what do we do a muumuu scale? Okay. But It's you your know, call. It's, it's, you, it, it's, I always leave it up to the guests. So we, uh, how would you, know, you like let's to do go, that? If, let's, let's stick with a, with a full grunge thing and not really uh, break off. And we'll go goatee. Okay. We'll say goatee. Um, so you, you want length you? of goatee? Do you want one through five? Is that what you want to do? Sure. What do you got here then? How long is this goatee? Five goatees. Oh, nice. Uh, I have five. I gave it four and a half. So not too far behind you. Uh, right on. And honestly, it's only because of the fives I have on the list that I'm like, well, I can't. I don't like this song. I like this song a, a half a goatee less than, <laughs> than these <laughs> other ones coming up. Well, the second track in the record uh, is Night Goat. credit for being the bass player at this time, but she is not with the band at this point. Um, Buzzo and Dale, or Buzzo has said that it's, it's basically him or Dale on bass. They basically recorded the whole album as a duo, it sounds like, uh, with with a, a couple exceptions of, of guest musicians here and there, but uh, Shirley Temple's daughter does not play on this. Did you know Lorax was Shirley Temple's? Well, you, if you listen to the... Yeah. Andy Shaw brought that to my attention, but these guys got signed by Atlantic Records, and I'm thinking the A&R rep for Atlantic probably first heard Night Goats, and I'm like, he must be fucking thrilled. Oh, this is, <laughs> oh, man, this is the best move of my life. Uh, my thoughts on this song, it is my favorite Melvin song of all time. Right on. Uh, much like that, the drum opening for Hooch, that bass intro is so electrifying. Yeah, it's killer. And especially live, it's just, holy crap. Yeah, uh, and then just everything about it. You get to intelligible lyrics where you can understand words in this song. <laughs> and uh you know so things that you can grasp onto and scream along with with live and uh yeah this is a i can't go any higher than than a five well no I, because you're the guest and you get to choose you can do whatever the hell you want you um, i'm gonna give that an 18 goatee rating wow so he's uh he's in zz top right now <laughs> how about a little yes. bit of a lyric from this uh Lost sitar, watch out for your tails, like, of course, a timely man, like a hog dance, like a pig dare, mind warp, deceptor, wan. I'm not sure if that's the chorus or not. It might be. Oh, it's beautiful, though. <laughs> that is that is poetry. Yeah, there's something there, that's for sure. I gave Night Goat a four. Uh, I, this is a, a, a killer tune, and... Um, it's weird because I always like to talk about like how an album opens. At this point, it's clear that like I can't 
listen to this in the standard f- fare of like, well, track three must be the single. You know what I mean? It, right. This is its own. This is very experimental. Uh, in a very heavy, hard, you know, sludgy. It almost seems like their guitar tone is what, in the way Buzz plays it, is what came up. You know how the word grunge came to be, but sure, yeah, yeah it's a that's the thing. I mean, I guess that's the thing I love about them is that they're just unapologetically themselves, right? And that they they never cowed out and like. Uh, you know, if you've listened to those those later Atlantic records, like when you got to Stag, I mean, that's just like, you're like, really? We're releasing this on a major label? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, take it. If you don't like it, oh, well, we've got we've got a lot of other options. We can go record for many other people and still do what we want. So uh, Garth Richardson brought that up. He said that was one of the things he respected and liked about them. Uh, and he enjoyed recording with them. He did the, He did those two records as well as this one. Um, right, but uh, he says they never changed. He compared them to Slayer for that purpose, like they just stayed true to who they are, and they never really tried to fit something. They they were the yeah. Melvins. At some point, you know, if you keep doing your art the way you, you want to do your art, the commerce will finally catch up with you. I think. Well, they're At still hoping point. for that. I think. Man, <laughs> I'll tell you what: being a being a fan, they do so. There's so many things that come out of that that relationship that they have with Amphetamine Reptile. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, they did a, a, a Sabbath covers single a couple of years back with Al from Sleep singing. And they did Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath and, and Black Sabbath. They released a thousand of them, four different variations, and they were gobbled up at like 40 bucks a pop. Oh. By the end of the day, like completely sold out. Within collector circles, they had already gone up to like $150 each. and But they do this all the time. Hmm. There's the, the DVD Colossus of Destiny, where Buzz talks about, where people will come up and they're like, you know, man, I love to buy your records, but they're too expensive. And he's just like, well, if people come up and tell me that it's too expensive, I'll just raise the price. <laughs> he's like, because obviously, he's like, he's like, you can get this music anywhere. You can get the songs, yeah. however, anywhere. But if you want a cool piece of art and a cool record, you've got to pay for it. And I, that completely changed the way I looked at, at their their business model. And well, that's actually fascinating too. And uh, no, Amphetamine Reptile. That's um, Mike. Uh, oh no, what, the, the singer from uh, Faith No More. That's his label. No, that, Ipecac, Ipecac, Ipecac is, is okay. They my do patent. stuff with Ipecac, right? They do like their regular releases are on Ipecac. And then, uh, well, right there in your backyard in Minneapolis is where Tom Hazelmeyer has Amphetamine Reptile. And he actually, he was the owner of Grumpy's. I know heard y'all yeah. talking about why the Melvins had played Grumpy's quite a bit on the Bullhead That's episode. the connection. I knew there was something. That was Fuck, the connection. I, I, I'd lost that. Yeah, they'll put out all sorts of things. And then they're nice, and they do like $5 cheapy CDs, mm. which I pick those up. So I, I don't have 40 bucks a pop to buy for, to buy four singles at a time. Yeah, I get you. Just it's ridiculous. My understanding is Buzz and Dale are both straight edges as far as drugs and alcohol and always have been. That's my understanding too. I know definitely Buzz. Uh, I've seen I've seen some murmurs here and there that like Dale will smoke pot okay. from time to time, but uh, the couple of times I've been around uh Buzz, I've been around those guys like Buzz was like just shooting darts and not drinking and not doing anything. And, uh, we have a, a mutual friend who would he- tell me repeatedly, he's just like, 
you know, you look at him and you look at his art and he's ridiculously normal when you talk to him about the things that he likes. He's like, because you're expecting it to be something out of left field. And he's like, you know, did you see Field of Dreams? He's like, yeah. He's like, that's a great movie. And you're like, yeah. And you're, you know, you're expecting him to pull something weird out. Yeah. Well, true to form, you know, I said that you're not going to get like the, th- of course, the third song is a single. The third song is a single on this record. That's Lizzie. It's one right. of the three videos they made for this. I'm sitting in This song it has that kind of mellow beginning, and then with that I don't know if it's it's almost like metal straps kind of hitting on a, I don't know like a four six time or something against a four four kind of pattern. But um, what are your thoughts here? Uh, you know, it's just pretty straightforward. Melvin's fair, I think. Really? Because I'm like, yeah. How is this not a it's fucking a, hit? For a this single. should this should have yeah. been on top forty radio. That's what I think. Listening to it, right. <laughs> if they were going to have a hit, that would have been that would have been a nice one. Yeah, you know? I suppose that would have been cool. But yeah, you get you, this is not. Um, I mean, again, like you said, it's standard Melvin's fair. Uh, I don't know. Did did you like my comparison that uh, Dale Crover is uh, uh, Tool dr- drummer's idiot half brother? <laughs> uh, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Dale, Dale Crover is my. He's probably like my number two favorite drummer of all time. He's just like, especially watching him in in for the well, God, I say I say recently for like the last twenty years. Yeah. Uh, that's not how that is though. Like the last twenty twenty five years of our lives, it's like that's recent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Well, how would you describe his drum style? That's something that kind of is difficult for me because he's got his. I mean, he's basically got his own like basically his own timing. Yeah. It's kind of like listening to that first Sabbath record and you're first really kind of grasping Bill Ward. Mm-hmm. But then he's going into like, you know, some sort of 716th time frame, you know, time signature. And you're like, what the hell is this? How did you realize to, to hit that on the, you know, 17th beat after not touching anything? Like if you go back and you listen to, to Lysol and just the the unbelievably slow sludge that's going on there where he wouldn't hit hit a drum for like a minute and it would just be like one shot and then just heavy and with that gong and oh. do you think that's driven it's, by cuz that's very similar how you could explain Buzzle's guitar style as far as how he approaches yeah. writing riffs do you think that was something they designed together? Because there's a very free-form element to what they do. Is one following the other, I guess, is where I'm going here. Man, that, that's a good question. I, I, would not, 
I wouldn't even want to try to start figuring out how they they write. I know that uh, <laughs> there's a there's a really cool Ernie Ball video about Buzz talking about Revolve from uh, from Stoner Witch. Probably one of I guess if you're, if there was a a Melvin's hit, it would be Revolve, like the most popular song that they did. Uh, but he's playing it on acoustic, and he's talking about that he just stands and stares at a wall, and he's playing this acoustic guitar, and he's like, you know, I, that's what I do. Standing and I guess Mumu, Dale just has to... Staring at a wall. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I'll go back to the hotel and I'll just sit there and... Is he married? Play my acoustic. Is he like, honey, get my, oh. get my songwriting, Mumu. It's exactly... Well, you know, yes, his wife's done most of the, uh, of the artwork for the last many okay. Melvin's albums. What do you think about the cover for Houdini then? Oh, I, I, I love... Well, I mean, you know, Kozik at... You know, in the mid '90s or early to mid '90s, you couldn't beat Kozik. And you, yeah, you're going to want to flesh cool... that out for the listener and for the host here. Oh, uh. Kozik, uh, he did a lot <laughs> of the, and he's one of the first real uh, poster artists in the Renaissance. I guess the Renaissance. So that's the name of the artist the that, that that did this. Yes, I'm guessing he did uh, Electro Retard then as well. That looks very similar. He did because that's actually on his the original version of that's on his label on Man's Ruin okay. it was on Kozik's label, all right. and he did all of the artwork for for all of those. But he did a lot of really cool parody posters for every indie band back in back in the day. He and then there was another guy by the name of Coop who did a lot of really cool artwork too. Those two were, those were two of like the big ones. Okay, I would say. And to describe it to the listener, it's basically Melvin's in black letter red at the top, Houdini in black letter red at the bottom, and then um, two children playfully uh, playing with a two-headed puppy. Yes, who seems, and both heads seem very happy. Um, both heads, yes, both heads of that puppy seem very happy. Now on the inside, you've also got the two-headed dolphin, and you've got <laughs> two-headed uh, pig, two-headed duck, two-headed pig, and then there's the two-headed cat, mm. which the T-shirts for this tour. And I'm mad that I didn't buy one. Uh, had the two-headed dog on the front, said Houdini, or it said Melvin's. And on the back, it had the two-headed cat, and it just said pussy. <laughs> I was like, I really, I've always kicked myself for not getting one of those those shirts. The promo posters for this were the exact same thing of the album cover, except one of the dogs, because, you know, the tongues are out on the dogs, yeah. uh, had, a, had the Atlantic... Uh, logo oh. on the tongue, and it looked like a like a tab of acid, mm, I nice. guess, to go along with the background of of <laughs> the psychedelic sort of background going on on the record. So, do you think they could release an album called The Electro Retard today? Um, we can't even call they did Pickles a, Midgets, they, Randy. I know, but they did. They actually just re released that record uh, through Amrap. But it's like it's an old album, ago. so it's almost it is it, an old album. It's grandfathered so they, in, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? That's I mean, a, along with their music not really not really caring what anybody thinks. Their style as a whole is we don't care what anybody thinks. Yeah. Nice. We're going to do whatever we want to do and like it or not, we don't really care. Well, and there's also an argument to be made that the people that would have an issue with it probably wouldn't notice it anyway. Probably not. They're too busy looking up a troll doll's ass at Target. <laughs> Going back to Lizzie, we never gave it uh, a goatee rating. Uh, what do you What do you give this one? I'll go with a four. Oh, well, the a first four. match we have. I gave it four goatees as well. Yeah. Um, well, up next is the Kiss cover, uh, your favorite band, um, and uh -huh. the theme of every podcast you do. 
exactly. Uh, going blind. Kiss my ass, but then Kiss made the um, the decision to go with Flavor of the Month, Dinosaur Junior. To me, that that that's kind of fucked up. Um, it uh, first of all, fuck Dinosaur Junior. The only reason that 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 happened, they were gonna have both bands on, but Dinosaur Junior. Because uh, uh, what's that singer's name? Jay something? Jay Mascus? Jay Mascus? Yeah, he yeah. um he doesn't like Kiss. He says if I got to do a Kiss tune huh. for this. Uh, I will. This is the only one I'll do, and so that got right. the Melvins bump for it. Now, now don't get me wrong. Kiss still kind of did some stuff for the Melvins down the road. I don't think it's uh, the biggest slight in 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 mankind. But you know what? No. The Melvins were a band that were legitimately fans of Kiss, and and the, and they did a version to me that actually kind of proved that like. Kiss actually influenced a cool genre of mu- music more than the, the, their own genre. Right. You know I mean, all those 80s hair metal bands always tried to distance themselves from Kiss during the 80s. But when grunge came around, you saw right. all these bands going, fuck yeah, Kiss rules. You know, even yeah. by the time Weezer came around, they're talking about it in their songs. So I don't know. That said, I fucking love it. Uh, this gets a five for me. What are your thoughts on, on any of that stuff I rambled on? It's Oh, no, you're fine. It's a, It gets a five for me, hands down. One, uh, I didn't know it was a Kiss song. I mean, not right now, but like when it first Poser. came out, I was just like, "This is." I was like, "God, this song rules!" You know, you know? what, and listeners? This totally asshole, this in. asshole, just told me on his 18th birthday he got every Kiss album in one big package, <laughs> a large, huge package. As a matter of fact, large, yeah. huge package. And now he's saying and in 1993 he had no idea "Going Blind" was a song. You are why? Why do you host a Kiss podcast if you can say something? Like that? <laughs> Well, because I love them so much. <laughs> anyway, I stepped up. But I do, I do. I, and to clear that up, man, I mean, I saw the Hot in the Shade tour. I saw the same tour that that uh, Chris Sinzak saw and like that a couple other people have talked about that they saw the Hot in the Shade tour. And it was it was fun. It was cool. I've got a Bruce Kulick pick from that. Uh-huh. I saw both times they came through Dallas on the first uh, makeup reunion tours. And they, they, they were great. They were, uh-huh. those were Fun as hell shows. Did you get a Bruce Kulick pick at those shows? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, Julian uh, Gill's was, head just exploded. Uh, right. So going blind, yeah. I thought that was a five stars. Five stars. Five uh, five goatees. Five goatees. Damn it. I screwed up my own Yeah, my it's own your own bit, system. man. Come on. Uh, <laughs> Well, coming in at track five is my personal favorite Melvin song of all time. I have a bit of a, a, right. a story and a connection with it, too. 
Um, but it's the song Honey Bucket. For this, by the way. Oh yeah, the sheep and the yeah. the flannels. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty fucking funny cool. stuff. Um, now I I had just started a band with a couple friends, uh, and it was called Bloody Bedsheets. We were gonna do only what we wanted to do. You know, that was like the. We actually had all these drunken band meetings about that. So the first order of business. That's a great name, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, bloody bed sheets. You can find us absolutely nowhere. Um, but but the first order of business was we're we're not going to do a lot of covers, but we're going to do some, but only songs we want to play. So we each picked one tune. The drummer picked this tune, and it was put to me to come up. And this is before the internet, and like you said, they only put the lyrics for the one song in the record. I had to decipher what the fuck Buzz was saying with this. And somewhere in that process, I came up with the, the theory that, and it sounds like I'm wrong based on what I, Garth Richardson told me, but he just made it up. He came up with a melody and just would like shoot out syllables and synonyms and, and try to rhyme. But uh, this also, learning this song makes you appreciate how fucked up the timing they are. Because this, compared to some of the stuff we talked to, if you just listen to it, it doesn't really stand out as this kind of like offbeat thing, but the the timing of that right. riff against the 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 drum part, it, and it might be one of Dale Crover's most standard drum playing um, examples, at least on this record. Uh, right. Well, there's one that's a little more four four coming up, but it's sneaky good. You know, as as much as like Buzz will tell you himself, he's not that great of a guitar player. There, there's something going on here. I always kind of thought it was just a juggernaut of a song, and it's such a great great video to go along with it, and. Yeah, I know a lot of people who are really big Honey Bucket fans, for sure. Yeah, it's got that Beavis and Butthead riff, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Were they ever on? Were they ever on Beavis and Butthead? Not to my knowledge, but I—I I mean, I'm not a, that level of an expert on them, but I did watch probably every episode. Huh. Uh, it seems like that would have been one of the. One of the songs that they would have done, Honey Bucket. Well, Danny Goldberg, who was a rep at uh, Atlantic Records and, and largely responsible for bringing the Melvins to Atlantic, he told uh, uh, Garth Richardson during the production of this record that Buzz is a lyrical genius. And I, I immediately, when, right. he, when he told me that, I was like, I thought about fucking coming up, sitting, you know, neck with my head next to a speaker trying to figure out like eight times and I'm the full five. Like what the? <laughs> this is the lyrical genius. So yeah, apparently, Buzz is uh, is in on the own, his own joke because uh, Garth the when he the story he tells is that like uh, he told that to him. He's like it's it's beautiful, isn't it? That people think that you know, it's like he's like just like almost like it's a joke to him. You know what I mean? Right. And I do think there's a bit of a yeah, sense of humor in what these guys do. Oh yeah, God, there has to be. <laughs> there 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 absolutely has to be. They, I mean, 
they've got their own joke and they're banking on it. And fortunately, they've taken some of us along for the ride. And a lot of people <laughs> don't. Oh don't man, care for it I at didn't all. see anybody this is, that liked him opening for Kiss. Uh, this is the one band out of like the millions of bands that I, I like. This is like the one band that if somebody's like, oh God, I fucking hate the Melvins. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Good. I'm not, I'm not, there's no way I'm oh, ever like there's going no to debate. change your Like, mind. how can you hate? Like, yeah, no, I get yeah. I actually get it. You know what I mean? Like, this yeah. is not everybody's cup of tea. This is pretty goddamn no. niche. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a challenging, it's a challenging art form that they, that they throw out there for sure. But. Yeah, there's a reason that they 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 only made three major label records, and I don't know what the sound scan numbers are on are on those, but can't be good. Uh, well, it yeah, I think I've, I've told the story a couple times, but I remember reading it in a Guitar World interview where Buzz says like the record label told them they sold like thirty six thousand copies of this the week it was released, and he was like, "Wow." And they were like, no, not wow. No. <laughs> well, five. Five goatees for me. Okay. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go five All right. on that. The side one of the cassette in 1993 ends with Tag Me. Turn it over to you. Three and a half goatees. Yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, three and a half goatees. I'll go with that. Now I know grunge existed prior to Nirvana and and Nevermind and right. all that stuff, but uh, it's it's not really that debated that Nevermind kind of broke it to the mainstream, and, and for a lot of people, sure. it was their first exposure. What were you listening to before Nevermind? We'll just say whenever it popped, and then um, what about? Well, let's start with that, and then like. How long did it take you to kind of get into grunge, if even if you did? I guess probably right about in 91, I was listening to Fugazi Repeater a lot. Um, I had gotten into Tad at this point, had gotten into, uh, although I had heard Bleach, I was not sucked in on Nirvana at all. So you were actually kind um, of uh, immersed in, in a lot of the stuff that was happening with the scene that was burgeoning. Right. Uh, 
Primus. I was listening to a lot of Primus at the time, and we're you know starting to really starting to dabble in that stuff. Uh, Steel Pole Bathtub. It's safe to say though that like um, grunge scene was already kind of what you were into already at least, and then when it blew up, did, a bit. Did you uh, did, did you uh, dive in deeper or almost reject it out of like uh, like you said uh, indie cred? I didn't I didn't reject it by any means, but it wasn't. By no means was it my you know my entire palette either. I right. mean, I was listening to all sorts of different things at that point. Um, and then, you know, there's, it's weird that a lot of stuff, because there's a lot of stuff that's considered grunge that I just, I sit and I look at it and I'm like, I, I with the exception of probably L7, I don't consider anything not from Seattle grunge. I think they just slapped it on any band that had a guitar and some distortion. The album that I'm closest to in the entire world comes in at number 49 on this, on this list. Uh, uh, the, the Toady is Rubberneck. Okay. Um, they're from here. They're from Fort Worth. That record isn't even remotely grunge. I don't think Screaming Trees, I don't really, even though they're from Seattle and were kind of part of the scene, I don't think that they're grunge. Mm. They never, it just never seemed, they just seemed like a rock band. Kind of like Pearl Jam just seemed like a rock band or Dinosaur Jr. just seemed like an amped up classic rock band. You know, because I mean, they were around well before grunge was. Okay. Yep. Smashing Pumpkins. I never thought they were grunge. I wouldn't have a lot to talk about on this show if we did, if we didn't count all those bands, though. So, <laughs> right? No, no, I did. I get it. Well, you didn't do the rankings either, though. No, so. no, that was the beauty of this that I was forced to stick to a format, and not uh, and not come up with anything um, creative on my own. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's your chance, man. Randy, did grunge kill hair metal? No, I do not think grunge killed hair metal. I think like any scene or any movement. You like just like new wave, just like just like anything. You you hit a uh, a saturation point where you can't go any further. You can't take it any further, and there's got to be a change. Um, I don't think I, I I think that the labels were were short sighted and basically just dropping everything for for the next Nirvana. I think that was ridiculous. They killed a bunch of bands. They killed a lot of music doing that. Just yeah. we're gonna go sign five million hell. From 90, just here in DFW, from 92 to, I'd say, 97, uh, something like 45 or 50 bands got signed out of here, you know, uh, just because they were just basically, they didn't know how to market. So they were just taking everything they could get, throwing it up against the wall and seeing what's stuck. You know, I mean, Helmet got a got a million dollar advance. Mm. helmet of all i mean come on that's ridiculous you know thinking that that was going to be like the next nirvana and everybody was just looking for the next nirvana which i think should have been Soundgarden, but that's just me my reasoning on that is the fact that jesus christ pose was pushed down and they wouldn't allow it on mtv because of the crosses Mm. although madonna's running around burning crosses two years earlier here comes Soundgarden with jesus christ pose which is exponentially better song and I think that had that been, that had that been, the first look that you got, the first real look that everybody got of Seattle, I think it would have been a little bit different story. But it's a it's a lot been, more uh, palatable to masturbate to the Madonna video than uh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean the way I mean, you know, good lord, your boobs are just sitting out there. You know, it's like you know if you're fucking yeah. a horny teenager. So I think MTV made the right call there is all I'm saying. Um, I'm with you. I've never felt grunge killed hair metal. Um, 
And and you know what? I'm not a defender of, of record labels, but I think they got it right by dropping up almost all those kind of hair bands. And and I I agree that there is a lot of great music and great musicians that kind of got lost in that process. But there was right. a pulse. There was a dynamic shift that probably didn't really exist. Like when new wave became unpopular, other than maybe disco. Disco might be the one time where there was like a revolt. And it, right. if anything, maybe uh, uh, hair metal should feel good that like it wasn't quite as bad as that. They weren't having blow up right. your hair metal records day at, at Comiskey Park, but um, that's that's true. That's that is very 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 true. Uh, and, and now I I like uh, I like hair metal now more than I did then. Uh, I definitely just completely skipped over it as a kid. Uh, with the ex- uh, which, which I've got to say, with the exception of whatever was on uh, uh, Dial MTV or whatever it was. Oh, right, the top ten, yeah. Dial MTV, yeah, the top ten. Uh, for some reason, I really liked all of those songs always. Like, I think uh, Lay It Down was in that <laughs> in that era from Rat, you know, That's Home Sweet rat. Home with its number one, uh, you know, the streak of number one where they finally had to retire it. Uh, Shot in the Dark was during that era. Uh, and I loved I loved all those songs, but it just wasn't my wasn't my th- like fully wasn't my thing. Well, let's uh, let's put the cassette but let's flip the cassette and uh, push play again. Let's start with side two right. on Houdini. Opens up with what I think is the closest thing to a pop song in this record. It is the song "Set Me Straight." You know, it's a good, good little Melvin song. I wouldn't say filler. I don't think any, I don't think anything in this first several songs is filler by any means. Um, yeah, there, there's honestly, some coming up this, for me, but this is not it. At this, uh, at this exact moment, uh, I can't really tell you much about it that I remember. You said honestly, great. it's the closest thing yeah. to actual lyrics. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's just like a little. Yeah, it is a definitely like a little pop uh. ditty. It's got a it's got a good rhythm um, for them. Yeah, for them, yeah, it's almost an anomaly because of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll you know, I'll go, I'll go like three and a half goatees. I had four it. and a half. I like it better than you, apparently. There you go. All right. Well, Sky Pup uh, is up next, and this is one that actually features uh, producer Kurt Cobain. <laughs> Thank you. 
Now, let's talk a little bit about that buzz. Um, I don't, well, not probably at the time, but uh, in an interview in the last decade or so, he, he pointed out that like Cobain was basically out of it. Um, he was kind of brought in because uh, Cobain's had a management team that, that worked with Atlantic Records, and he was instrumental in them kind of getting there. And Atlantic really wanted to do anything they fucking could to slap his name on this album. Sure, absolutely. That's what it always seemed like. Buzz said that uh, basically he didn't really do shit. Um, he was too out of it to really contribute in any meaningful way. As far as production, that's where the Melvin stuff comes in. And Garth was kind of brought in at the end to to kind of clean up and, and get the, the, the record basically done and ready in, in the time and budget that they had. But there is a story about, because uh, this song doesn't really have any guitars. I don't know how if you remember that. but uh, So there really isn't much of a guitar but Kurt Cobain is playing guitar, and, and it, it, it's uh, basically uh, he's playing a right-handed guitar, which is you know Kurt plays left-handed. Um, so he and he's basically just slapping some shit around, and Buzz is basically hand manipulating the pe- pedals, and then it dissolves kind of really low in the mix, and it's really just watery. According to this watery-sounding diarrhea that becomes nothing more than drain notes for the rest of the song, matched against some vocal right. chokes. My personal notes here, the drums, again, are kind of killer on this, but uh, it feels like Cobain, in almost a very Cobain Cobain way, wanted to make sure that anything he did on this record was not notably Cobain in any way, if that makes sense. To me, this is a pointless track. I give it a two. I I can probably meet you on that one. Yeah, It hurts a little bit to give it a two. Yeah, because I do love the album, but uh, I, I... the, there's one more uh, track that Cobain's on, and I think those are the two ones you just get rid of. Make it eleven a track record, and it's okay. Yeah, right. No, I'm 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 with you. All right, up next is I'm with you. I'll go I'll go two goatees. Two goatees. Well. So we're we're back to back on that. Um, Joan of yeah. Arc. What are your thoughts here? It's a top ten favorite, most favoritest Melvin song ever nice. for me. Just man, just such a, a ridiculous song structure. There's no, you, you know, you would kind of expect it to maybe go back into anything, and it doesn't. You've got that opening with with Dale doing the cadence, you know the yeah. the cadets fall in thing, <laughs> um, which I never realized it was Dale until one time I was watching, and you, you know, because he's got the the kind of Howard Jones mic the. Or Janet Jackson, Mike, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, the headset. And, uh, yeah, the headset. Yes, more technical terms. You've been in a band. I haven't. Uh, the Ron Keel mic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, the Ron Keel mic. You know, and so I, you know, they started doing the song, and I was like, oh, that's Dale doing that. I had absolutely no idea that he was doing that. But, you know, and one of the things I failed to mention about that, how much – one of the main reasons I love this band, it's, it's, I love, I love Buzz's guitar tone. I love, I love, uh, Dale's drumming, whoever has been, uh, you know, picked to play bass in whatever time frame yeah. it is. You know, they the always spinal tap usually pick the player. right person. It's like, instead of unless, drums. And, yeah. Unless, unless it's Pincus, 
uh, from the surfers, then they always pick the right person. Good point. Um, God, I hate that era. Excuse um, me. But it's it's Buzz's voice. It's that bellow. Just that. I mean, because that's all that. I mean, that is like from from the deepest part of his stomach, man. That's just oh, I just I love it when he just goes full throat bellow. And and there's a lot of that on on this, you know, where they get to the you know, screaming parts. Not really screaming parts. Know, just that sort saying, of like. Yeah shrieking banshee bellow type of thing that's banshee. going on and then and then you've got just the drums just dale comes back in with those big huge drums and then that just stupid like baby cry at the end into <laughs> dale starting back up no sense whatsoever just makes absolutely no sense and it, and it's wonderful and beautiful all at once i'm guessing you're giving this five, a five yeah okay at least at least five goatees on that i'll give that five goatees uh, three chain wallets and a moo moo. Oh wow! Um, I'm going to put everything in there. I'm going to uh, uh, one chain wallet, one moo moo, but uh, four goatees. <laughs> uh, so. Right on. All right. So yeah, I love the tune too. You basically covered it. I did want to mention this is a good example of of what a great guitar like. Some people take it for granted, but to to, to properly chug and get that thick fucking chug chug tone. Buzz right. is kind of a master at that. And, uh, from the beginning, I, I can't believe how well they dialed in their drone guitar tone, even going back to that Deep Six record. But, uh, right. yeah, this is uh, just a killer tune. So, um, Well, up next is Teat. We all know what a Teat is, so no questions what's going on there. other track that garth actually is credited as producer now he he mixed and engineered quite a bit of the stuff in the album uh so i, I right. should mention that killer bass line but buzz also mm-hmm. he really knows what he's doing if he's playing bass on this i mean he he can fucking riff man had their album ended with teat i would have been perfectly fine i think that this should have been probably the album closer mm. and i would yeah i think i would have been i would have been okay with that i do like the next track but um, after that, I, I think you're kind of uh, there's not a whole lot there. At least that I that I need to keep. You know, it's weird because this is not a record that I cherry pick. I, I don't really listen to music that way a lot, except for stuff that uh, 
I'm not that into. Like, like there's a lot of pop music that I love one or two songs by, you know, and, but when it comes to something like this, if I'm listening to this record, I'll, I'll just put it on and play it. So sure. it would be weird to kind of just skip some of the stuff because, you know, my, my mental brain would kind of want that next thing. But I'm with you as far as if, right. if I was producing it, I might have just taken it off. Um, but I gave it four and a half. What about you? I'll probably go like a four. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I mean, I like that, you know, definitely the, the bass that, you know, that's, that drives it for sure. Um, honestly, the next song... Or I was going to ask you how to pronounce I can't. that. I'm going to go with one of those two ways. <laughs> I like Kopachi. Take your, take your pick. Kopachi. Kopachi. Yeah. We'll just go with that. Kopachi. Um, this has like about a 30 seconds of another upbeat kind of bass line. And then it, it just kicks in. It's got a great riff, I think. To me, it's almost, in hindsight listening to it, it's like pre-Rob Zombie's solo. Maybe a little rawer than, than hmm. some of the stuff he did. But um, right. I gave it four and a half, man. Because I'm lame, I'm just gonna have to go. I'm just gonna go three. Fair enough. I'm an only. Ch- I'm an only child. <laughs> I, Baco. My, my jo- Oh, there. That explains a lot. Now you get it. Um, now you understand why I got, you know, twenty Kiss records for for Christmas in '88. Didn't have to share them with your brothers and sisters. Um. Uh, no, no. But that's also the same thing as I had no older siblings to say, "Hey, here's this record," and I had parents mm. that didn't listen to music whatsoever. Man, now so, you're making me feel bad about a beef that I've ridiculously carried on for 30 years with my sister over the rock and roll over sticker. Um, <laughs> well, the next right on. the next song, Pearl Bomb, if you had it on CD, did you think your CD player was skipping when it started? I didn't, but that's a really fun little upbeat bass line that, that, that they did. Is there. that bass or drums? I think there's bass. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, because it starts with the drums. Um, it might even be a drum machine. I just, I just, I just thought, yeah, it is drums. I was just like, man, Dale's a badass. I don't know. If, I don't I have no idea how they put that track together. I don't know if it was. Uh, my theory but, yeah, is they literally that, wanted to that, make the sound of a CD p- skipping. I just bought this. Yeah, but then you've got that cool bass line that comes in there. Right, but it's about ten seconds yeah, in. You know, cool. your instant reaction if you've had a CD player long enough at that point is like, what the yes. fuck? Yeah, I can buy that. I can buy that. Yeah, there's like certain songs that on the radio that used to make my mom think we had a, a flat because <laughs> it would like start off something weird. I don't remember what it was. But, uh, God, yeah, up, up until I brought that up, I could have told you what song it was. But she was always like, "Can we have a flat?" Oh, it's that stupid song again. Uh, no, Pearl Bomb. Pearl Bomb. I'll, I'll go three and a half stars. Really? Uh, three and a half. Three and a half goatees. They because um, I, I think it's a fun little track. I've always felt that they, they've kind of squeezed in one kind of dumb song and, and, and at least one every record, and this is that, and I think it's kind of a waste. I gave it a two. Again, they could have probably ended this record at T, and I would have been okay with that. Especially with and what comes next, if you're asking me, but... Uh... Jesus, shut up! Um, so Spread Eagle Beagle. 
Uh, this is the other song that Kurt Cobain plays on. And I think, if yes. I understand right, it's percussion. Uh, I... Yeah, yeah. It's just really goes on way too long. Oh, my God. It's, yeah, it's 10 minutes <laughs> way and 13 long. seconds. Yeah. Honestly, when, you, when I was listening to it back, you know, I, I was in a band for 20 years. There's that kind of those drum hits that like a drummer out of like nervous energy just kind of annoyingly smacks around like between songs in practice you know like right. almost like they just can't help themselves and it's just like oh you guys are talking or trying to tune bam bam bam, bam. and to me yeah. this is like almost fucking 10 minutes of that it's like yeah but as you get like further in it just becomes even more sporadic where you're yeah. just sitting there for like 15 seconds and then finally <laughs> <laughs> you're like is this still fucking going on just like what in the hell? Yeah, that that part. I think that to me is is way more annoying than than the the opening of Pearl Bomb. But if you're Agreed. listening to the CD like I did for you know 200, 500 spins, whatever in my car, it's just how this, the record's supposed to end. Well, at least you know? with Pearl Bomb, you could trick people to think their their CD player was fucked up if you wanted to have a joke with them or something. You, no, <laughs> right. this is uh, there's no like. Uh, practical use i mean did they ever play spread eagle beagle live how, how would you even do it oh, i hope not but you know what i wouldn't put it past them uh have you ever heard the record prick yeah so you know sort of what i'm talking about like there's parts of that record that are recorded live from outside the venue <laughs> yeah yeah because they're just just dicks and that was my first understanding that the Melvins are like gonna give you the finger if they feel like it well they they had a review you know, uh, at one point, um, according to Buzzo, where they they were doing two shows somewhere, and after the first night, the review was like it sounded like they played one note the entire night. So the next night, they went up and played one note the entire. They I don't know, I can't imagine what it would have been nice. it was like. Din 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 din. Famously, they came through and they played on the Nine Inch Nails tour here in Dallas. Oh, right on. And they were taking the plate. They were a last minute edition. I had passed on tickets because I had seen Nine Inch Nails twice already on this, on that tour, on the uh, Downward Spiral tour. Pop Will Eat itself was supposed to open. They got into a car wreck. And then a week before the show, the Melvins were added to the remainder of the tour. Okay. And they went in, they, they kind of had everything going. And then they went into uh, Magic Pig Detective. From Stoner Witch, which is that really slow yeah. bass-driven song, and the crowd turned within seconds. Now, Nine Inch Nails is filming Dallas that night, and the place that they're playing was actually the same place I did see Nirvana the one time. Uh, it was a hockey arena, so they've got boards over the ice so that people can be down on the floor. Nine Inch Nails fans, they but find that's they where the Minnesota cups. North Stars play, if I understand right. Yeah. Uh, no, this was actually a uh, uh, the, nice, by the way. No, th that was at Reunion, <laughs> but this was at like a, a, a flunky type of place where our, the the Dallas Freeze would play. Okay. The, oh, uh, you actually have your own hockey team. Okay, I didn't know. Uh, they did. Okay, they did. The Dallas Freeze and uh, the Fort Worth Fire used to play and beat the shit out of each other all the time. They get tired of throwing flaming cups and they start ripping up the floor and setting it on fire, and they're just launching it. <laughs> at the Melvins. And there's a two disc set that came out, um, in 97 or 90, it was 97. 
uh, because in 96 they did a single a month on AMRAP. One of the B-sides of one of the one of one of the seven inches that came out was called Jacksonville, and the other side was called Dallas. Mm. And Jacksonville was from the L7 tour that they had just done with Buzz just berating Jacksonville. That's it. He's just berating the hell out of this town because they've been giving him shit. Yeah. The the other side is Dallas, where you can hear Buzz sort of screaming throw. Because they have all gone back behind their amps, except for for Dale, who's still drumming, <laughs> and they've they're feedbacking so hard or feeding back so hard, but they won't leave. They're like, the longer you throw shit, the longer we're going to stay and do this, and they just keep throwing, flaming, they're just ripping up the floor and screaming at them, just throwing all sorts of crap at them. And finally, you know, they 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 finally just sort of get him off stage and Trent Reznor has to come out and he's like, y'all throw one fucking thing. We're gone. You see all this shit in here. We've got thousands upon thousands of dollars of video equipment to videotape us playing for you guys. And y'all are destroying this place. So yeah, we're not going to have this crap. Leave our friends alone and fuck you guys. We'll be out in a little bit. Right on. Well, I tell that really long winded story to get to the Dallas date of them uh, later on oh, in the year with more. White Zombie and Babes in Toyland. <laughs> yeah. My buddy was talking to Buzz beforehand and he's like, so what are you going to do if you get the same reaction as you did like three months ago? Same place, everything. Buzz is like, man, have you heard Prick? We're just going to play that front to back. He was like, if they... And I was standing right under him when they went on and there was a kid... Like They came on 15, 20 seconds in. This kid like throws like... Uh, some sort of coin at Buzz. And I don't know why he does it, but he does it. Buzz turns, looks at somebody, sort of like gives a head nod. Security swarms on this kid. And and this this is a 95. So a $27 concert in 95 is like, you know, $150 concert today. This kid has seen 30 seconds of music and is kicked out (laughs) immediately. And Buzz just turns around laughing, just like, ha, 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 fuck you, little shit. And they played the rest of their set. And then Babes in Toyland came out and were badass, too. And we left before White Zombie. Aw. That's how indie cred I am. Right on, baby. <laughs> um, Probably so would have enjoyed that show. You can buy a mansion with that level of indie cred. Um, yeah, tell me about it. I like to uh, let the uh, guest always have last words. So uh, as far as cl- oh, okay. closing thoughts for the record, I will tell you this is, well, I've already mentioned this is my favorite Melvin's record. I do think right. it's a fucking killer album, despite the sh- uh, ripshod way that it was actually produced between Kenneth Cobain being right. just there for a little bit, and then they decided they needed to bring someone in to help finish it with Garth Richardson. But uh it, it is just a, a killer record. I get why it's where it is on the list. I'll tell you this. Right. I personally move it up to number 10. So I'll, I'll, I'll now hand it off to you, Randy. Nice. What are your closing thoughts on the album as a whole? As a whole, I think it was, uh, for probably most people, if you were going to like the Melvins, this was the perfect calling card. Correct. For them at that time. Because probably, I mean, because at that point, Kurt Cobain had been bandying the name around so much, you know, and it, and that's one of the great things that that guy did was that he, you know, oh, I love the Melvins, the Melvins, the Melvins. And he talked about them in so many interviews. And so people were curious. So now here was a record you could find in your record store. He was very you know? influential in them getting the major deal. Yeah. God love him for that. But, you know, 
I, I, yeah, I think this was the perfect introduction for, for so many people that if you were going to like them and there's a lot of people that, you know, carried on with them after this, or, you know, got to, got to like certain other records and we're like, okay, that's it. Y'all have played enough jokes on me with your Colossus of Destiny album of <laughs> y'all and Mike Patton playing for an, a one hour track of nothing but feedback. Okay. Which I bought, bought full, full price. And I just laughed at myself going, Oh, you Melvins. Oh, you Melvins. You, you guys, I'll have to wait another year for, for a real record. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think overall Houdini should be way high. I think it should be much higher on the list for me. Mm-hmm. I would put this at probably out of those 25 records, my number, I'd go with number two. Nice. Probably. That's going to piss off Pearl Jam because that's going to, I guarantee they're going to get shoved I, down on your list. I love Pearl Jam. Really? Okay. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I like them a lot. I got to, I got to see him a few times on on ten, and got to see him uh, uh, with the Butthole Surfers opening even at a uh, you know for uh, verses, and man, they were fantastic. You know, I'm a I'm not you know I don't, they're not one of those bands that I cite all the time as you know oh yeah. this is one of my favorite bands, but yeah I like I liked uh, I liked ten enough that I bought it on cassette because I didn't have enough money for CD at the time. There's a bunch of little revelations like that about the time frame that has been fascinating and fun to go back to just the reminder of like choosing between a CD or a cassette for a various amount of reasons. Like maybe I want to check it out first, or maybe I don't have enough money. Do I want to listen to it in the car on the way home? That kind of stuff. Yeah. All I had was a cassette player at the time and I could spend seven 99 and picked it up. Well, Randy Brown of the synaptic empire. uh, Thank you very much for coming on. It's been a joy to have you on the show here. And to talk about them that we both like a lot. Uh, and uh, actually to hear your stories and stuff, I think the listeners are going to be happy to, uh, I don't know, find out why they do or do not like this record. Why don't you take a second and one more time, promote your show and where people can find you. Um, you can find me over on, uh, I'm part of the cnjradio.com family. Uh, you can find me on iTunes or you can go to your little podcast uh, icon on your on your phone uh, the Synaptic Empire, uh, the Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions is what I call it because uh, I'm a Star Wars dork. Um, basically, my show is it's basically the radio show that I would do if I had no FCC limits. Nice. Basically, I play 12 songs. I do basically what I just uh, railroaded. <laughs> you know, just I tell stories, uh, talk about talk about the song. Sometimes I sometimes I've I've had shows that went. Uh, I talked like six minutes and that was it. I just let the, the music do all the talking. Um, I've gotten to where I talk a lot more now, uh, probably because I drink more while I'm, <laughs> while I'm doing the shows. But um, yeah, it's a, you know, if you, if you're a fan of like freeform radio and you've got a lot of uh, varied music taste uh, and check out, please check it out. Come, uh, come looking for me. I used to be on Spotify, but I'm not anymore. Yeah, we, we can relate. So, uh, and, I, and I do highly recommend your show. Thank you very much. Well, Randy, uh, you want to get out of here? Whatever. Fine. Never mind.
Oh, go ahead. I was, I was, oh, I was just, I was just gonna jump ahead and do your job. And it's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 